There were three major offices among the people of God in the Old Testament. The prophet, such as Nathan, the priest, such as Abiathar, and the king, such as King David. And Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled all three offices for us eternally in the New Testament. Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Ammons. Welcome to Truth 101, a systematic way of looking at the doctrines of the Christian faith. I'm glad that you've joined us, and we've been going through our series looking at, first of all, the 100 series, the person of, of God the Father, and now in this 200 series, we're looking at the person of Jesus. First three podcasts, we looked at the humanity of Christ, and then the next four podcasts, we looked at the deity of Jesus. And now finally, we'll wrap up our looking at the person of Christ by looking at the offices which he held. Jesus was the perfect prophet, priest, and king. Now, those were the three offices among God's people in the Old Testament. The prophet spoke God's word to the people. The priest offered sacrifices and prayers and praises to God on behalf of the people. And thirdly, the king ruled over the people as God's representative. So these three offices foreshadowed Christ's work in different ways. Therefore, we can look again at Christ's work, thinking about the perspective of these three offices. And Jesus fulfilled the three offices in the following ways. As prophet, he revealed God's word to us, spoke God's word to us. As priest, secondly, he offered sacrifices to God on our behalf, he himself being the great sacrifice. And then thirdly, as king, he rules over the church and really over the universe. And so in this podcast, let's talk about the three offices Christ fulfilled, prophet, priest, and king. First of all, Christ as prophet. Now, the Old Testament prophets spoke God's words to the people. Moses was the first major prophet, and then you have, he wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And then after Moses, you have a succession of other prophets called the classical age of prophecy, more of the classical prophets, who spoke God's word and then put those words into writing, Isaiah, Amos, Hosea, Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, those type of prophets in the Old Testament. But Moses was the very first major prophet, even though he was not what was called a classical prophet in the Old Testament. But Moses predicted, this is interesting, that sometime in the future, another prophet like himself would come. Listen to Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18. Quote, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses said, from among you, from among your brothers. It is he to whom you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God. And the Lord said to me, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now that was perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. 
when we look at the Gospels, we see Jesus is not necessarily primarily viewed as a prophet or as the prophet like Moses, but he certainly functioned as the prophet of God. Now, here's what I find interesting about the New Testament and Jesus being a prophet. Many times in the New Testament, those who called Jesus, quote, a prophet, were those who knew very little about him. Think about this. For instance, various opinions were circulating about Jesus, and Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Remember when Jesus raised the son of the widow of Nain from the dead, the people were afraid and they said, quote, a great prophet has arisen among us. That's Luke 7, 16. And then when Jesus told the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well, something about her past life, she immediately responded, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. But she didn't, she really didn't know very much about Jesus at all. Think about John 9, the reaction of the man born blind when he was healed. He's a prophet, he said of Jesus, but he really didn't know that much about Jesus. So what's really interesting to me in the New Testament, prophet is a designation of Jesus by those who really didn't know him that well. But interestingly, there was still that expectation that the prophet like Moses would come from the Deuteronomy passage 18 I shared with you. For instance, after Jesus had multiplied the loaves and the fishes, some people exclaimed, this is indeed the prophet who is said to come into the world. They were talking about what God said of Moses in Deuteronomy 18. Think about Peter. He identified Christ as the prophet predicted by Moses in Acts chapter 3 whenever he was preaching. So, Indeed, Jesus did fulfill the prophecy of Moses in Deuteronomy 18 that a prophet would be raised among the people of God who was like Moses. Now, in thinking about Jesus being a prophet, it's, it's significant that in the epistles, Jesus is never called a prophet or he's never called the prophet. It's especially significant in the opening chapters of Hebrews because it's there, there was a clear opportunity to identify Jesus as a prophet if the author of Hebrews had wanted to do so. But he doesn't. He begins by saying, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us by the prophets, but in the last days spoken to us by his son. Interestingly, the, the writer of Hebrews could have said, long ago God spoke by the prophets, and in the last days he's spoken to us by the prophet or the great prophet. But he doesn't. He identifies Jesus simply as the Son. Now, you may ask why. Why did the New Testament epistles avoid calling Jesus a prophet? Now, he clearly was clearly is the prophet promised by 
by uh, uh, Deuteronomy about Moses. Very clear he is. So why did the New Testament epistles avoid calling him a prophet? Well, maybe a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, he is the one about whom the prophecies in the Old Testament were made. So therefore, the, the Old Testament prophets looked forward to Christ when they wrote, and the New Testament apostles looked back to Christ as they interpreted his life for the benefit of the church. So maybe that's a reason why. One of the reasons, because he was the very centerpiece of prophecy that the Old Testament looked forward to and the New Testament looked back at. It was Christ. So maybe... Maybe the New Testament epistles avoided calling Jesus a prophet because he was the one about whom the prophecies were made. If you think about it, when Jesus talked about the, with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, uh, our Lord took them through the entire Old Testament showing how the prophecies pointed to himself. But maybe there's a second reason why the New Testament epistles avoided calling Jesus a prophet. Jesus was not merely a messenger of revelation from God like the other prophets. He himself was the source of revelation from God. Maybe that's why. Because if you think about it, the Old Testament prophets, whenever they spoke, they said, Thus says the Lord. And then they would give the prophecy. But whenever Jesus spoke, he didn't say, thus says the Lord. He says, but I say to you. So the word of the Lord came to the Old Testament prophets, but Jesus spoke on his own authority as the eternal word of God, perfectly revealing the Father to us. So maybe those are a couple of reasons why the why the New Testament epistles do not really identify Jesus as a prophet. But it's very clear in the Gospels that Jesus is a holding as an office. Jesus is the Old Testament prophet of God who is fulfilled in the flesh before our eyes. It was the first office he held, Jesus as prophet. Now let's talk about the second office of Jesus, and that was Christ as priest. Christ as priests. Now in the Old Testament, the priests were appointed by God to do one thing, and that's offer sacrifices. They also offered prayers and praise on behalf of the people, but their primary role was to offer to God the sacrifices of the people. And in so doing, the Old Testament priest would sanctify the people or make them acceptable to come into God's presence. In the New Testament, Jesus becomes our great high priest. He is our sacrifice that makes us acceptable in the presence of God. And so that theme is developed extensively throughout the New Testament, especially in the letter to the Hebrews we find Jesus functioning as a priest in three ways. Let's talk about those. In the book of Hebrews, Jesus functioned as a priest in three ways. First of all, 
He offered a perfect sacrifice for sin. The sacrifice that Jesus offered for sins was not the blood of animals, such as bulls or goats. Hebrews 10.4 tells us, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Instead, Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 9.26 says, But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Folks, this was a completed act. It was a final sacrifice, never to be repeated. And that theme is frequently emphasized in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 12, chapter 14. Therefore, Jesus fulfilled all the expectations that were foreshadowed among Old Testament sacrifices, but also in the lives and actions of the priests who offered them. Jesus offered a perfect sacrifice for sin as a priest. But secondly, Jesus continually brings us near to God. Not only did the Old Testament priests offer sacrifices, they were also, in a sense, representatives as they came into the presence of God from time to time on behalf of the people. They were bringing the people near to God. And Jesus brings us near to God continually as a priest. But he does even more than that. As our perfect high priest, Jesus continually leads us into God's presence so that we no longer have to go to Jerusalem or to a temple or of a special priesthood to stand between us and God. Jesus does not come into the inner part of the Holy of Holies of the earthly temple in Jerusalem. He's going into the heavenly equivalent to the heavenly Holy of Holies in the very presence of God himself in heaven. Hebrews 9.24 tells us that. So therefore, we have hope. We're going to follow him there. Jesus brings us into the presence of God. Listen to Hebrews 6, verses 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, end quote. Folks, that means we have a far greater privilege than those people who lived at the time of the Old Testament temple. I've heard so many people say, oh, I wish I had lived back in those days. It seems like God would have just been so much more real. But listen, we have a far greater privilege than those who lived at the time of the Old Testament temple. They could not even enter the first room of the temple, the holy place. Only the priest could go there. Then, in, into the inner room of the temple, the Holy of Holies, only the high priest could go, and he could only enter once a year. We're told that in Hebrews 9, 1 through 7. But when Jesus offered a perfect sacrifice for sins, 
the curtain of the veil of the temple that closed off the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom, indicating in a symbolic way on earth that the way of access to God was opened by the death of Jesus Christ to everybody. Therefore, the author of Hebrews can make the amazing exhortation to all people, let us draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith in Hebrews 9, or other 10, 22. So, Jesus has opened for us the way of access to God so that we continually draw near into God's very presence without fear, but with full confidence and full assurance of faith. So Jesus as high priest, the second office he fulfills. Number one, he offered the perfect sacrifice for sin. Number two, he continually brings us to God. And number three, as a priest, Jesus continually prays for us. Folks, how powerful is it to know that Jesus is praying for you? The third priestly function in the Old Testament for a priest was to pray on behalf of the people to God. And the author of Hebrews now tells us that Jesus now fulfills that function. Hebrews 7.25 says, quote, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Paul says the same thing, Romans 8, 34. He says that Christ Jesus is the one who is interceding to the Father for us. Now, there have been some people who have argued that this work of the high priestly intercession is, is only the act of remaining in the Father's presence as a continual reminder He has paid for our sins. So therefore, they say, well, he isn't interceding for us in prayer. He's just simply there as our intercession. But this view, Jesus does not actually make specific prayers to God in this view, whereas the Bible tells us that he does. In, in fact, in case, the word intercede is the Greek word intigkano. That means it means a word to stand as someone's representative before another person. It's used of King Agrippa in Acts 25 whenever Festus uses that word and said to King Agrippa, you see this man about whom the Jewish people petitioned me. And so it, it meant that he was standing in the, before the presence of someone else. So in a sense, Jesus is standing in the presence of the Father praying for you and praying for me. Now, Jesus in his human nature alone could not, of course, be such a, a great high priest for all the people of the world. He could not hear the prayers of pe people far away if he was just simply a human high priest, humanly high priest. But he wasn't. He was a godly high priest. Humanity and Jesus and the deity of Jesus perfectly going together. Therefore, in order to be the perfect high priest who intercedes for us, he had to be God as well as man. And because he was both, he continues to be our intercessor before the Father. 
you know, the thought that Jesus is continually praying for us should give us great encouragement. It really should. He, he's always praying for us according to the will of the Father so that, that we can know our, his requests will be granted. Listen to what Louis Burkhoff said. Louis Burkhoff in his book, Systematic Theology, published in the 1940s. I've actually used that book in Systematic Theology courses. But listen to what Louis Burkhoff says about Christ's intercession for us. Quote, It is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us. Even when we are negligent in our own prayer life, that he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our minds and often which we neglect to include in our prayers and that he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we're not even conscious that we have and against the enemies that threaten us though we do not even notice who they are. He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we may come out victorious in the end, end quote. What a great quote and a great thought by theologian Louis Burkhoff about Jesus interceding for us. So that's the second office Christ holds. He holds office as prophet, office as priest, but thirdly and finally, Jesus held the office as king. Now, in the Old Testament, the king had authority to rule over the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus was born to be king of the Jews, according to Matthew 2, 2. But he refused any attempt by the people to make him an earthly king with earthly military and political power. Folks, in the day and age of our politics, remember Jesus rejected, rejected the people's attempt to make him a political power. In fact, he told Pilate, John 18, 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Folks, we need to remember that today. Jesus said, told Pilate that in John 18, 36. He was a king, but his kingdom is not of this world. Jesus did have a kingdom whose arrival he announced in his preaching. From that time, Matthew 14, 17 tells us, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is, in fact, the true king of the new people of God. Thus, Jesus refused to rebuke his disciples who cried out at his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He didn't stop and correct them. He accepted their worship as king because the king was the one who had the authority to rule over the nations and Jesus has that authority. Now, after his resurrection, Jesus was given by God the Father far greater authority over the church and over the universe. God raised him up 
And we're told in Ephesians that God raised him up and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has given him as headship over all things to the church. That's Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 22. So folks, that authority over the church and Christ's authority as king over the universe will be more fully recognized by people when Jesus returns to earth a second time in power and great glory to reign and to rule. Philippians 2.10 tells us, and on that day, everyone will acknowledge Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, and every knee shall bow to him and confess with her mouth that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. So praise God for what Jesus did. He took the three offices of God's people in the Old Testament, the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And in one person, he became eternally and perfectly all three offices in and of himself. Christ as prophet, Christ as priest, and Christ as king. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed our podcast this time talking about the offices of Christ. And join us next time as we start to look at the 300 series, the third person of the Trinity, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.